welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Angela Jameson grew up on an isolated farm, a community in rural Montana, northern US. She's the founder and director of Ashtanga Yoga Ann Arbor, located in Michigan. A well-known figure on the Ashtanga scene for her intense and thoughtful prose written over 10 years in her ashtanga based blog, Inside Out, where she brings post-cultural theory to the practice of Ashtanga. Angela's journey with Ashtanga started in all earnest when in 2001 she moved to Los Angeles. This was for her postgraduate studies at UCLA. Soon after that, she was hit by a car on a crosswalk and this near fatal accident resulted in a day of full body paralysis. This inspired her subsequent commitment to her daily Ashtanga practice. So she started teaching in Hershala in 2010 in Ann Arbor and spent many years slowly building this community, which is quite renowned. She was certified to teach in 2017. Angela is just about to reopen her shala again after teaching online for 18 months. And in the meantime, she's located to a two acre plot in the forest outside Michigan, where she has transitioned to living off grid. But in this episode, we look back at how the shift online has affected the way she teaches and the way I teach, and also the way we practice now. For now, we practice at least physically alone. And this has had a huge impact on all our practices. So welcome to the Kiran Yoga Podcast, Angela. So, hi Angela, to the Kiran Yoga Podcast for our second attempt. The first one got lost, so here's Angela on, uh, Angela on her first podcast ever, but the second attempt at the first podcast. Let's see how this goes. Hi Angela. <laughs> welcome again. <laughs> so Angela's here today to talk about uh, the effects of, co- uh, what, not the effects of COVID itself on the Ashtanga practice, but the effects of teaching online on the Ashtanga practice. And it's been a huge shift. Everyone's gone online and now everyone's coming offline, offline a little bit, or some of us are coming offline. And, uh, you know, but it has made a difference. And I think a longstanding difference to the way we approach Ashtanga, to the way we teach Ashtanga. So this discussion is going to be broadly based on, um, on you know, the kind of take home points of this uh, this, I suppose it's been about over a year now, 15 months of online, what we thought would never be, would never happen online Ashtanga teaching, you know, online, online adjustments. <laughs> so without further ado, uh, here's Angela. So your experience on teaching, um, yeah, overall, let's, let's make us uh, headway into this. You, we, oh. you came online, you came online straight away, didn't you? Straight away. Well, I didn't have any intention of going online and my students sort of, created that uh that pathway and that structure so we closed here on a friday in march and we have a number of engineers in our shala who put together Mm. a sort of private platform on a a piece of software called slack yeah and it's like it's like a it's like a pimped up zoom isn't it? it? Yeah, it's yeah. it yeah. actually has a lot of social media factors, but it's private. And so social. it enables you to have both 
direct messaging with between individuals and then different channels with different topics. So mm. it's basically a, a platform that enables a, a level of social media that's still bounded, that's still com within community. Um, so you get a lot less of the negativity and a lot more of the sort of connectivity. Uh, nevertheless, right, uh, right. <laughs> uh, I was super skeptical about all of this. You know, I've had a like little toe in the internet Ashtanga world since like 2006. And at the same time, really? other, other than your blog, well, just having a blog, I mean, you had to right? blog. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Your blog. My, right. Okay. Yeah. Which my brother Famous built for me and yes. just like, you need to write, like do that. So he created that, named it, all that happened almost independent of my uh, will. Um, but that's also given me this sort of long view of the different, different generations of the way Ashtanga sort of manifests online. And, you know, mm. our Shala doesn't even have a website. Like we have a tiny website, no Instagram, no anything. Like we, like my approach to the internet has always just been like, okay, like we're going to keep everything in person, uh, community building. So why they did that was that it facilitated like the mutual support of community and then it also allows you to embed synchronous like uh, Zoom level teaching within the platform. And so mm. I, uh, you know, my uh, uncompromising mind over the course of about 48 hours uh, adjusting to this new reality um, made that shift. And by that Sunday, I was doing my first Zoom class online, in part because I had a crew of 10 beginners that had begun two weeks earlier. And I was like, I'm not going to just abandon these beginners that I've been preparing to start mm. the practice for. 12 batches of 10. Um, and so I make them kind of wait until I have capacity and we start. And so a lot of these people have been waiting forever. And I was like, I'm not going to leave you uh, right at the beginning of this crisis. Um, so that's so go back how to the blog things again. got started. And, you know, um, pardon? I wanted to go back to your blog again. I just had a thought. Like, I mean, did oh, yeah. you, uh, uh -huh. of course you were online all that time before. And, and you know, and, and you had that mm -hmm. blog. And so you had a lot of interaction online previously. Did that, mm -hmm. uh, has, did that affect, mm. I, I didn't ask you in the last one, but did that affect yeah, yeah. you at all and how you took up the, the interaction this time? I mean, did, how, how was the blog? I mean, it's, it was very well known uh, amongst Ashtanga people. You're one of the first people to, to really write about practice and certainly mm -hmm. I'd say probably the only person to really write in, in, in kind of um, in, in such a depth, let's say, as you did. Mm -hmm. um, you needed a kind of uh, a good education, yeah. let's say, to, uh, to understand that writing. <laughs> Um, and that can make sense of it. <laughs> but it's very in depth. It was very in depth. Um, you know, um, um, you know, a, a trained a trained philosopher, um, you know, mm. albeit uh, would find that tough. Um, and you, and you did that, and you were very well known for that. And 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 you're still writing it now. I still have, writing it I've ended up posting about twice a year now. It's still totally. Right, okay. I really miss writing, but you know, Adam, it's kind of like the transition that you make as a teacher when you practice, if you're going to make that transition from the sweetness of being a student into the, the level of service where your practice is really for others, there's so much sacrifice that happens in that transition. And so I really feel that my own writing has been one of the sacrifices that I've made in building the shala. And I miss it tremendously. That's a part That's of... That's a shame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, at some point, 
I'd really love to have that extra margin of energy required to express in that medium. Um, it's so You should carry on. You should, you should I, yeah. I, thank you but for saying that. Not, um, not more really than two a year hard. because it takes me a whole morning to, to read, to, to understand and dissect it. Yeah, no, I have spent a whole morning on your work before. <laughs> and people that know me know that I am also quite um, uh, quite thoughtful myself. So, um, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, it's pretty tough stuff. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And did, I mean, it obviously was received positively. Um, did that, I, mean, it, uh, I suppose what I'm saying is, did that, that online, that, that taking it online, that taking it into the public domain, do you, do you think there's anything in that? Yeah, in I the biggest thing that I learned from writing online was mm. that I was going to get a lot of feedback from people who had an idea of who was behind it. A lot of people think I'm a, a man um, or oh. think that I'm trying to be trying to obfuscate in my writing. But that's just literally the way that I think. It's extremely tense. <laughs> it's like that's how. Defending it defending obfuscation by using the word. But what I've realized is that, like, I just never was going to cater to what what people wanted from me. I was like, this is just what my voice sounds like, and a lot of people are going to have different judgments of it, and I'm kind of going to disidentify from that. And just let that voice be. And so it's mm. like a different entity outside of me. It's like, that's just an entity that's going to express itself in that particular way. And I've read like a lot of the bit about like the, the ways that, you know, false identification causes a suffering. We're like driven home through oddly through that online interaction. Um, but I also learned a real facility with ways to actually connect through text and through through the sense of building relation online, definitely. Right. In, mm -hmm. you know, in ways that were, um, you know, unconventional. And so that in both that sense of like not taking stuff personally, radically not taking stuff personally, uh, because that layer of, you know, the, the interpersonal facial expressions and the voice tonality and the body hexes yeah. is removed in two dimensionality. Like that is really hard to understand that, that the richness of three-dimensional space, when that's collapsed, we fill it with projection, right? And so the projections that people have, like they are welcome to them. And that's also so human. We're always doing it all the time. But that two-dimensionality, you can still get through, but recognizing that you're filling in so much of the space with your own projections is like mm. quite humbling, right? Um, one other thing I want to but say also, about this phase of yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say oh. it's still hard. It's still hard to deal with you know kind of potentially negative feedback, and it's kind of oh, to yeah. this day I find it kind of bizarre why people need to. I mean, it's like if you've got nothing good to say, you know, come on. I mean, it's like, and also, have you written like a kind of incredibly like involved blog for mm -hmm. many years? No, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know, what come oh, back well, to me what? when you've done that. But, um, you know, on the other hand, <laughs> well, I did want to interject here, and, and I didn't mm -hmm. ask you again last time, is mm -hmm. do you teach like that? Do you teach like you write? Because mm -hmm. Angela, that I Ooh. came to know through the blog, I yes. kind of assumed would kind of teach in a kind of post-cultural theory-esque uh, mm -hmm. kind of manner towards the asanas. I mean, mm -hmm. do you teach in a kind of dissecting manner? And a, 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 um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but, yeah. Do, how do you bring so, that to them? That's so interesting. I... I think I have a, a 
somewhat involved answer to that. First uh-huh. is I really, Sharat told me when I first started teaching, I was like, do you have any advice for me personally about teaching? And he was like, teach about your teachers, teach about the history of the practice. That's what you should be doing. I want your students to have that connection to the history of the practice and your teachers. And I just took that hundred percent to heart. So if I teach, for example, a new asana, I always try to say like, you know, this was an experience I had with Mati around this asana or when Sharat taught me this asana, this was part of the transmission. So there's a bit of, of a sense of a, a interpersonal connection and that my students are participating in something that goes back through beyond me. And so I'm just a link in the chain. And so in a lot of ways, I make myself like a little bit more transparent. I'm not bringing my whole interpretive structure to those interactions so much as being like, okay, like I am, this is a, a chain of people. I'm just one, pe- one person and you take me out of that and you're still part of a, a chain of transmission that mm. goes back in the history of the practice. Um, so I think that that, having that one really formative piece of advice has helped me recognize that my coloring and my interpretation on life and practice is just one little contingent possible filter that you could put on it. And so I'm uh, the one thing that I would say that that is really based on my, you know, my my degrees in philosophy and sociology um, and history is is like I'm always just kind of saying like this is situated knowledge. My perspective is situated in these ways, right? Um, take it or leave it. Yeah. You yeah. can't help but color it. And I think if you're gonna be a teacher mm-hmm. and inspiring inspiring figure you know, you have to be a person as well. You have to be a person, you know, a real person and, and admit and admit that you do colour it. And your colouring is just as, you know, although, you know, we all love Matty, your colouring is as equally as valid as, as Matty, you know, as Matty's was, right? Like if you're you, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. as much as and we have influences. I, I, totally. And the, you and I, Adam, have put in like the years and years and years of daily practice to have an interpretation that's based on experience. So there is a level of expertise that is very valid. And the students are often reflecting that back to me. They're like, okay, but based on your 20 years, one years of practice, what like what do you have to say about putting your foot behind your head? Right? Right. Um, so they're very often the students are trying to draw out of me more than I'm willing to give. And I like that dynamic of like, because I am so interested in everything all the time the practice fascinates me it's ever new like to to be a little like focused on the student's direct experience and let them be the driver of how much information they want has has kind yeah. of been my approach and that's another thing that I really learned from Sharat is like less is more I kind of get I, I do get confused by the expertise thing because although obviously the teacher Mm-hmm. is meant to know more than the student sometimes the student has more of a kind of a fresh approach to the teacher so i think you know uh, mm-hmm. the uh the ex- expertise can, can equally sometimes blind as well right so mm-hmm. it's a tricky Especially one you know? in these um, times where it's like well the practice has a different manifestation if you're doing it alone every single day for 15 months yeah yeah yeah, we have to get onto that now. Let's, let, yeah, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's segue nicely onto the fact that people are practicing on their own now. Uh, mm-hmm. for, you know, kind of albeit with the kind of 
kind of radio in the room of someone. You know, <laughs> I could have looked at it like a, you know having the radio in the background. Um, you know, and they're, they're but they are practicing on their own. They're not practicing with the community of people anymore, next to people. You know, and riding on the coattails of other people's energy, and you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, having a different experience than maybe they feel. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. we talked a lot last time about the the idea that maybe you don't feel really like a you know super energetic, or you maybe feel a bit sad, you maybe feel unmotivated or disappointed, mm-hmm. or many many aspects of that we can easily because we'd rather not feel those things. We can easily kind of cover that over in a group dynamic. We can easily kind of decide to put ourselves in a place where we don't have to look at that because it's kind of a although it's you know we know we need to go there um, mm-hmm. usually we'd rather not feel sad or, de- or or depressed or angry or you know and it's just nicer just to go into a room and you know and that's good in a way because it gets practice done you know it gets us gets us through you know that's a, a support right. i.e inverted commas and i'm not keen on using external <laughs> terms but sang stanger you know um you know, yeah. but uh, you know on the other hand it's uh, you know it, it's it's a, it can be a bit of a false friend in the end when when the practice is meant to take us home to ourselves. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, what's coming up for me when you say that is like I feel like we all kind of got the memo about spiritual bypassing like ten years ago. Most of us have read Cuttings Through Spiritual Materialism. Most of us have this idea that it's we a great book. Have. If you don't, if you haven't read it, do we? If you yes. haven't, do yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah. We know that we don't want to use our our spiritual practice to suppress our inner reality. And yet this, this thing that happens with the shared energy does have a function of we merge with a group and that group experience becomes its other, like something that's greater than the sum of its parts. And Mm. that's really, I definitely have moments where it feels like we enter a portal when we're teaching online. That still sometimes does happen in the lead class setting. Never if I'm just watching, really practice my profile. Right. Yeah. You feel that somehow there's a shared, even coming through the kind of the mm. wires, as the it were. Yeah? Wow. wow. And it actually started when, at the beginning, when Zoom was really glitchy. And so, you know, there would be a delay in between like, ik am inhale and dway exhale. And the students would talk about how, like, in that delay, in the, like, in that liminal space where you're waiting and there's just emptiness, they were so aware of the, like, hundred other people, like, in that empty space. And mm. it's, like, super interesting. And so they continue, like, the, the way that the projection of the mind, like, fills in the continuity of experience, they would continue. And then, then my voice would cut back in. And Got there it. would be like that auditory stimulus that reminded you that there's a hundred people doing this thing, which is like you, Adam, you and I have had that all along. Probably when you get on the front of your mat and you say the mantra at the beginning of your practice, don't you always think of like, Oh, I'm not the only one doing this thing. So many of us over the years have had that, but this is like, a uh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that because I've always, oh, always, of, I, always you know, so I always felt like I didn't want to take, Oh, I just want to take comfort in the fact that uh-huh. essentially we are, we, we good. Essentially, we are alone in the practices to deal with mm-hmm. one's own sense of subjectivity and I the see. fear of, of the fear of aloneness, and obviously mm-hmm. what that um, what that um, mm-hmm. suggests, you know, <laughs> in, the, in, in the upcoming future, let's say, right? You know, yeah, yeah. So you know, I've always been into existentialism. So you know, you know, so I wouldn't, I never wanted to hide behind an easy comfort, unfortunately. But I'm a bit of a party oh, pooper. I have uh, definitely um, taken solace in that for better. 
for worse, the idea that, you know, we're alone together is so much of the Mysore experience. It's like a way suppose, to people for introverts. I suppose, and again, like I remember talking to you about this before, like, you know, mm-hmm. now, I mean, we're talking that, you know, we don't have to get up at a stupid hour in the morning, oh, yeah. right? Um, and, and that's, I think it's very useful for Ashtanga teachers because I think there's a sense of kind of impaling oneself and, you know, I've got up earlier than you have because I've got to practice before I teach because that was the inverted commas, again, traditional manner of doing it, you know, mm-hmm. the one that Shrat always recommended. Um, so, so we all kind of did that. And I often did feel that actually standing there, maybe I just kind of felt a sense of collective stupidity what what the hell are we doing at this hour of the morning at two in the morning you know uh, I I want to <laughs> talk to the fact that you know I've done that that I have been getting up between two and four in the morning for 10 years um when I'm in Mysore or when I'm at home and mm. that I felt like I was kind of brain dead as a result of that and you and I raised this mm. question last time we talked which is like well what happens to a to a subculture when there's like this brain drain among its senior practitioners, right? So I have the, it would have taken nothing short of a pandemic to get me to sleep until 6am. And there's no other way I would have made that change. And Mm. now what I've seen is that at 6am, there's a, as we, as we've discussed, like there's a, a clock, for your rejuvenation, according to Ayurvedic medicine. And there's truth in that. I see that truth in my body. So that that getting sleep between 4 and 6 a.m. for the first time in a day. Yeah, we talked about our body clock and oh. the organs. The, the, the oh, organ. yeah, my liver uh, yeah. is so much stronger now. Not only that, I have an emotional availability and a cognitive capacity that hasn't been there for a decade. So talk about the sacrifice, right? But the question yeah. is, is that uh, a sacrifice we should uh, congratulate ourselves for or actually yeah. <laughs> now that exactly. we realize yeah. how much yeah. smarter we are on the other side of it? Um, so that's really, I'm really looking at as I transition now back into teaching in three dimensions. Wow, like what happens next now that my system, well, I'm not as strong as I usually am because I'm not exposed to 100 people every day who are helping my immune system stay strong. Like now I've been in my little bubble for all this time. I know that touching people, touching so many people every day, I like I had to habituate to that for 10 years before I transitioned into teaching. I'm not going to make the assumption that I'm ready to go in there full power and start doing dropbacks with a whole bunch of people every day. My system just is oh, really? that level. Right. I'm going to go so gentle and slow. Um, and because I don't want to, I don't want to crash my nervous system or my immune system. Um, but yeah, like what happens if I'm teaching after practicing? Like my head is actually exploding again, having exploded already when I found myself teaching blood classes on the internet. <laughs> so. no, I, think, I think it's, yeah, I mean, do we want to be getting to a state of, are we encouraging ourselves to get into a state of kind of no mind here? I don't know. You know, like, I mean, that's kind of how, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of how maybe I took it. I mean, maybe that was completely wrong, but you know, as, as you, you, you mentioned the idea of brain drain, you kind of get up early, you're doing such an intense thing. Uh, I, I kind of felt like at the end, you kind of fry, you're frying yourself a little bit, you know, and it's kind of, well, maybe an unskillful, unskillful terminology, a... but you're kind of frying your nerves a bit yeah. with all the intense asanas and, you know, and then you're getting into a group, you know, then potentially mm-hmm. take it off to a group, a group perspective, whether in Mysore or in a, in a home Charlotte, you know, in your own town, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you're getting up very, very early. And um, you know, mm-hmm. is that what what is it that we're actually aiming for here? You know, right. are we well, are we aiming to be more functional human beings, or are we aiming to be um, 
Speak right. to the zombies. <laughs> or renunciants, right? Like, but yeah, or is that relevant? Our... Is that re- is that is that yeah. relevant for the you know the, the, the modern Ashtanga practitioner? I mean, I say modern, but what does that mean? But you know, the one who is living in the city, mm-hmm. who is holding down a regular job, right. who is not in the forest, uh, right. on a diet of berries, wearing mm-hmm. a loincloth, whatever was I've also uh, been originally involved <laughs> all the way all the way through in studying the sutras, which I love and also really support the asceticism that is natural to my personality and that is reinforced by that lifestyle. Um, And as, as you know, like I also have this background in being a student of Shinzen Young, who's a Vajrayana and mindfulness teacher since 2009. So I've taken nine long meditation retreats that, that systematically sleep deprive you to put you into rarefied states of consciousness that are beyond the small self. And so you'll be on meditation retreat for two weeks, sleeping four hours a night. Um, And so really like the small self and the cognitive function completely drops away. And you're living in these blended mind states where like the dream mind and the deep mind and the cognitive mind all get really mushy and kind of your spirit comes through, but there's a real, I'm sure you know this from your Vajrayana practice, there's a real deep experience of emptiness that you can kind of ride on through that. But but I don't know, like actually like my Ashtanga practice up until I started teaching was one where I would get on the mat and Angela would disappear. Like it didn't matter what asanas I was doing, that's why I practiced, is that it was a way to set Angela completely to the side and just become absorbed by the breath. And, and there was really, you know, not a, a sense of self or even an ability to speak when I was practicing because I was in these deeper mind states that I trained through my sitting practice. And I don't teach that way, Adam. You know, I teach students to like pause and be like, wait a minute, does that hurt? How does your mm. this feel in this asana? Please don't totally merge with the, the one and go in. Also, the analgesic effects of the practice when you're in yes. the rhythm. Yes. Like, please pause and make sure this is okay for your... Um, so you're essentially, you're doing something that you weren't teaching, right? Yes. Oh, I have definitely right. changed that in the way of the, I'm actually creating, especially this year, certain mm. effects where I'm asking students, how does your, how does your hamstring origin feel right now? Cause I can't touch you. I can't feel or monitor the vrittis in your breath. So I need you to check in to make sure that your proximal hamstring um, is okay. Right. Or I need you to make sure that your medial meniscus is not being overly compressed right now. So that kind of nocebo effect and asking them to kind of be in their small self is that's a feature of online teaching that I feel like is absolutely crucial for their safety. Because otherwise they're just looking at me doing the lotus position. And like, I don't necessarily have this subtle sort of breath, facial expression, embodied cues to know if maybe I need to like, like ask them to back off. So they've got to be the one to know if they're in the danger zone, which is, it's kind of hard to ask them to prime the nocebo effects to be like, because if you go looking for pain, you're probably going to find pain. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's true. Um, but it's, it's definitely changed the way that I've taught because I don't want them to get too blissed out. Because I'm just also, not yeah, the, the question of what yep. one's looking for, at least on a daily mm-hmm. level. I mean, it might be relevant to practice intensely for a certain mm-hmm. period, but 
I mean, yes. again, we were just referring to this before, but is it, you know, appropriate or, you know, relevant to someone who wants, to, who still wants to live in a society and interact with a society mm-hmm. to, to be, um, you know, in this constant daily state of, uh, you know, or, or even a meditation retreat setting where you're coming into yeah. a, a point of, yeah. of losing the sense of, of your own self. I mean. Yeah. Having cognitive function and being able to speak in language doesn't mean that you're not awake. <laughs> doesn't mean that, like, you're in a pure state of ego. You know, it's just a, it's just a different way of manifesting in the world. Um, so like that sense the, of like the shared energy in a Mysore room feels really related to this because you can like when the, the boundaries of the small self sort of drop away and you merge into a Mysore room, that's always what I've been trying to create at Arshala is a sense that you cross the threshold and all of a sudden what you thought was wrong with you. You know, you woke up with a headache or you have no energy today. You cross the threshold and you're like, wait a minute, where is that sickness? Where is that horrible mental state I was in? Very often drops away because so many of the stories yeah. that we tell ourselves, mm. you put them in check as you merge with that, like that gestalt of the breath. You walk into that wall of breath and you merge and, and there's wellness and there's prana and it heals you. And you give back but to it. It's kind of ana- it's just slightly analgesic, yeah. isn't it? And it's also, you know, exactly. kind of very much mm-hmm. where you're already in an overstimulated state. What's the first thing you seek you seek? It's obviously stimulation, isn't it? So, yes. <laughs> and for mm-hmm. the very people that probably need less of it in a way. And I think we were, you know, as we mentioned before, I think this is it's an interesting tie to use a modality that's quite mm-hmm. sort of quite stimulating in a certain sense. And I think it's, as as we also mentioned, is is meant to be stimulating. You know, it, it's, it's not just yeah. it's not just meant to be pacifying. You know, it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually something that's I made. really wanted to communicate today, just to make sure, sure. that that people listening. This is you know sometimes I'm like uh, maybe I should share more publicly, but just so people listen understand that we are stimulating the nervous system. You know, if you're crossing the street and a car is rushing at you, you're going to go into a, a state of, you know, quote unquote, a triggered state, right? So mm. the, the nervous system isn't actually binary. I do not buy in at all to the idea that there's just a sympathetic and parasympathetic system. Oh, good. Oh, right, I yeah, do yeah, not good. buy that at <laughs> all. I, I think that's a that's an importation of like 1980s uh, medical science into mm. into a science that's you know 5,000 years old and understands much better than we do. Um, but at the same time, using that highly simplified binary, you do go into a fight or flight state when mm. you're shocked. So what that's composed of is the elements of breath under drishti. So the pelvic floor tightens and the low belly tightens to shut off the the reproductive and digestive capacities, which are so expensive for the nervous system. The heart rate increases and the breath goes into the chest and your peripheral vision drops because you're focused on the threat, right? So that is what breath bandha drishti simulates. And it blows my mind, Adam, that like, like the, without any model of the sympathetic parasympathetic nervous system, our practice comes from a place of understanding that these three elements of closing the pelvic floor, breathing in the chest and keeping the gaze steady will totally change your state of your nervous system. Um, But at the same time, I think that we're in a place where it's important for people to understand that you can put on the brakes there, that you don't always have to be full on breath bonded drishti. Sometimes if you're already like things are coming up, you can breathe in your belly. 
you can like relax your pelvic floor. Mm. And even Dominic used to always say to me in the classroom, it was almost like I was burning a hole in the floor with my hyper drishti, like laser eyes. And he'd be like, Angela, let your peripheral vision come in. Because I was going into such highly stimulated states of the nervous system that he wanted me to put on the brakes so that I wouldn't actually have a nervous breakdown. Um, and that's like something like, like Dominic's a, he's, I say he's the first trauma sensitive yoga teacher. He's just so brilliant in his understanding of the nervous system states that you're in when you're practicing. He was the first one who started teaching me about how to put on the brakes if I needed to. Um, but the method is, you know, definitely you are stimulating the nervous system so that you can learn to still connect with others when you're stimulated instead of interpret everything as a threat. Um, which is what we usually do when we're in those more triggered states. Do you, so do you think that's come through in this kind of home practice scenario more? The ability that's, to that's my, take yeah, care that's of one's, my one's own state, like, right? Oh, right. my God. Like like you're saying, like if stuff thinks something's coming up, well, cry it out, you know? <laughs> like, like let it come up. And now because there's not that social pressure to – to conform on the level of the nervous system state, I have seen my students show so much intelligence of like, I actually, like I've been through so much. I, like I got on my practice on my mat, I did a sun salutation today and then I cried, which I just heard recently from somebody and almost like, mm. like, oh, like maybe something's wrong. I'm like, no, like it's a sin to keep it in. One of my Ayurvedic doctors said that to me. And, <laughs> and like I nice. feel yeah. like that sense of allowing, especially because there's been so much suffering this year, seems like I'm gonna I'm gonna be very sensitive to that going back into three dimensions of like we don't necessarily want to drive everybody into the same nervous system state when we have uneven levels of trauma, frankly. That yeah, well, also it's just a question of kind of reassessment of what we're practicing for because it's easy to just kind of keep chasing the rabbit, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like everyone's doing it and everyone's saying that they, you know, they want the next posture and everyone's mm-hmm. happy where they, mm-hmm. par- apparently, uh, allegedly happy where they get the next posture. And, you know, <laughs> and so <laughs> until the next, <Totally. laughs> until it hurts them or something. And then, you know, so, and, you know and, and what are we, you know, it's just kind of time for reassessment to say, well, actually, what are, you know, are we, what are we looking for here? You know, are we looking just to sort of get by and just to kind of, mm-hmm. you know, try and feel okay every day? Or are we looking to really go, go into the states that are underneath and, and, and try and mm-hmm. somehow mm-hmm. kind of reconcile ourselves, I suppose, to, mm-hmm. to certain feelings that are, that are easier brushed under the carpet? Yeah. And if we're addicted to certain states in the nervous system, which I will say, the first few years of my practice, I definitely—it's highly addictive. It's highly—it's highly addictive as a, as a yeah, as a kind of because it does produce a certain state, which is, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. exactly. And it apparently makes everything okay for a short period, um, but just just think about the chemical and hormonal fix that you get from such powerful practice. I feel like the sooner you can break that addiction. You like the compulsion that drives you to practice. Well, that also can kind of fix you in a in a really reactive state. Where as far as spiritual growth, like if you're compulsively addicted to putting your foot behind your head every day, 
the the likelihood of like burning through your samskaras and dealing with your kleshas is not great because that's such a state of attachment. Um, it's just a distraction, isn't it? It's just it, it then becomes it then becomes distraction. Like I remember one student saying mm-hmm. to me, "Why I get so upset and worried and." and frightened when I'm approaching a certain this posture that I'm doing right like it was probably Corinda Barson or something like that I said well it's just you know it's a symbol isn't it like you know it's just those postures are now a symbol of all this deep-seated you know nebulous often it's really of you know it's it's not like you know some of us have very particular and and very much known known senses of traumas but so, mass mm-hmm. that's just this trauma of, of 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 existence you know like just you know the, the worry and, and fear of our own lives, right? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, anxiety. And it, to put that put that on a posture or put that into a practice, mm-hmm. it gives a kind of visible kind of thing to do. And it, it, mm-hmm. well, it's great in a way because it, then it, then that's taken care of there. But in a mm-hmm. way, having it there never really is just to put it somewhere else, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I've done my practice, every, as long as I've done my practice, everything's okay. like that well I'm just speaking from I'm speaking from the heart because I you know I mean this is this is what happened you know this is it's easy to tread water for many and uh you know I think maybe it sounds like maybe you did it I Mm -hmm. I certainly did it and many teachers I think that we know kind of did it you go to Mysore you get in a loop of going to Mysore and teaching and as teachers I think you know, as well as students, it's been a great sense of reappraisal if one could be humble enough to to look again and think, well, what the hell? You know, let's look and actually look at what we were, we started yoga for and what we've mm-hmm. ended up doing, you know, mm-hmm. and, and are they this, you know, where are the aims now? What are the aims? You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, what this brings up for me is something that's so, like, primary in my life experience, which is, so I grew up in a a super rugged rural environment in Montana on a ranch. Mm. And Mm. like we found our own water in a well, we raised all of our own food. Um, Rural Montanans tend to be what they call libertarians or, you know, a lot of them are what we call preppers in the United States. And I was definitely in a world of people who are very survivalist in orientation. And I kind of rejected that in favor of getting an education. That was kind of my way of rebelling was um, to the, a PhD <laughs> um, at, because that's a very, it's a, it's a kind of isolated anti-intellectual environment based on survival and being with nature. And I'm kind it's of religious, religious as well. Uh, yeah. My, my father was a wilderness guide slash preacher um, still is. Right. Uh, he, he actually is an emergency room uh chaplain now so he's working in the in the midst of the covid crisis in rural montana um and i've really come to see my parents as far more spiritually evolved than maybe i'll ever be um but as you know a arrogant teenager i was completely blind to these things um but that Hmm. that sense of this like like self-sufficiency and survivalism that i really rejected when i like moved to the city and you know embraced like cosmopolitan life is really coming back to me in my relationship with the practice, which is like, okay, so what if you can't go to the doctor? What if you are in a place where you're isolated with very few resources all by yourself and you need to take care of yourself? Like this is a practice for mental and spiritual and physical well-being that isn't necessarily dependent on a on a group or a teacher or a routine or whatever. Like you actually have to adapt it to take care of yourself under difficult conditions. And there's something about Ashtanga that really appeals to that old part of myself that I 
kind of rejected that like survivalist person of like, oh, wait, mm. this is just a personal tool for all wellness on all levels. And it really has validated that, that what it is, like it's incredible use under even the most difficult of situations um, for, you know, in a way that like has nothing to do with going to a shala with a group or sadly like traveling to be with my teacher. Um, it has a, like an incredible healing capacity. Like, thank God. Oh, the Sharat said this last week and he was like, a lot of people are realizing they wish they had practiced yoga before this. And it's true. It's like, <laughs> thank God for the tool, but the tool, like essential aspects of it isn't putting your foot behind the head. The essential aspect of it isn't like asana performance. It's like the ritual. And I think maybe that that has been slightly yes, ritual exactly, and method right. and structure. Um, but and, and, and these things and the breath. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a training. Mm-hmm. It's a training that that is. I think it's important that it's in the body, but it's definitely it, well. You know, I mean, without getting into cliches, it's obviously more in the body, but we don't necessarily know that when we because we naturally know ourselves mm-hmm. as individuals. When when other individuals there, we're all mm-hmm. to different degrees lacking in one's own sense of self, and therefore mm-hmm. we get into this comparison thing, you know. And yeah. uh, and I think that that's a really interesting thing. The way the online thing is going is. Mm-hmm. Unless people are coming up to the screen and staring at other people, which they generally don't do, so I would probably see that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> they, 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 they don't. You know, that we don't have this, this, this now mm-hmm. ability to kind of how you say um, value our practice basically in comparison, right? And how we're doing as opposed to how the person over there is doing, or how our how right. our competing mate in the corner oh. is doing with that posture mm-hmm. now. You know, so it's kind and of think- a, it has taken it to a different realm um albeit mm-hmm. un, uh, you know un, unrequitedly or perhaps uh, you know we wouldn't have uh, we wouldn't have chosen it you know it's it's uh, i've been really very, thinking very about positive that, yeah about drishti like the holographic nature of drishti and the way in which like where your sense of your path and where you look to for validation or direction is reflected by like that idea of like literally looking at your thumbnail or your tip of your nose or something like that like the mi- micro and the macro drishti really have a interaction and in this setting where it's like you're just there with your micro drishti like the actual tip of the nose i do feel like there's something really beneficial about that be like this is me this is me and my life and you know my cat who's climbing on me and my two children. Um, I've definitely gotten to know very many um, cats and dogs and toddlers this year, <laughs> right? But that's the the world. Of there's a sense of realism into it, isn't there? There's also a sense of realism in, in the whole perspective, um, and my heart and getting to know people oh, in, oh, in situations as well in the, in their in the home situation it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it, I think it, it deepens the connection, uh, and and also. It, the possibility of of expanding the role of a teacher is, is kind of interesting as well. I mean, I wanted to touch on this because you know my mm-hmm. big thing with the practice, the, my big thing with the practice now is as a guy, you know, and, and, and as someone who you know ha, ha, who practiced to a degree, a level. If I was you know standing there in front of someone and then saying to them, well, you know, why you could do that or this or that, mm-hmm. it's it's very weighted. 
you know, it's very weighted. And I, I never really looked, felt comfortable with that. But I never knew how to nuance that in such a degree that I could say, look, take mm-hmm. it or leave it. This, this is a possibility. And, I, you know, and I'm also I may be wrong here, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, uh, now online, you know, uh, the, the beauty of the, of the online format, which I've enjoyed, and I don't know how that would, that, how that might translate, you know, going on in person, mm-hmm. is, is this ability to very much have a, I mean, I know that you, you mentioned the role of the expert. You know, the degrees are there with you, but to other aspects, I, I very much like the idea of a kind of informed kind of helper or someone else on the path who's just saying, well, look, these are different ideas, but at the end of the day, it's you doing this, and that's the point. It, it, it's, it's, it's not my authority that you're, you're looking right. to follow. It, this right. is your experience of, of, of uncertainty, of struggle, of, of not knowing, you know, of all mm-hmm. those things and that's what makes it that's that's mm-hmm. what makes it so because yeah, easy with the teach i would just finish saying this it's easy with yeah. the teachers in the room just to think well the teachers the the teachers the conclusion they're the answer yes you know yes they're, they're oh. the wikipedia just the google mm-hmm. so just type in and the teacher will you know mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. oh yeah that totally. takes away yeah <gasps> if you've been to my school you kind of know that because from my teacher to like stand in the authority place so many of course times. we all want that we all well, want that. i mean this is where like I really have connected most with Shara and Dominic, where they're just like, actually, this is on you. In well, subtle, I was going to say that if you ever read to my school, you kind of realize that that you don't really, you. yeah, you definitely, you, you definitely don't get that in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and honestly, that is, I have resisted that so much in my practice because I do want somebody to be in that position. But I love what you're saying about like especially the the like raced and gendered ways in which like authority is created in these dynamics. Cause I definitely, I still experience that even though I present myself as a like in person, I'm five feet tall. I'm super clumsy. I'm just a, like a silly, really happy person, like behind like the minimalism. And so like, even in the presence of that though, there's still a gravity that the practice creates in you. Like 21 years of practice has done something to our energy fields that speaks for itself on its own terms. And um, it like I find both in person and online, like the the ways of like modeling what my teachers have done, which is like just what you're saying, like letting people know it's on you are like one of the best tools have been to be like, okay, so what makes me an expert is I've made a lot of mistakes. I mean, so many dumb mistakes Um, and like on personal and spiritual, not just physiological levels. So I'm just going to tell you what my mistakes are. If you want to repeat my mistakes, that's on you. Exactly. I was going to say that. I mean, <laughs> like if you want to, but but could, the whole value of me doing this every day for 21 years is so hopefully other people don't have to repeat my mistakes. Probably um, they will, though. I mean, if anyone would have told me anything, and I would have just done it anyway, I think, you know? <laughs> Uh, so we are doomed to uh, teach for that reason. We are doomed to teach. But I, I think I don't, it, is, it, is, it is a really <laughs> interesting discussion. And the, and, the, and the online thing just kind of adds a, a really kind of uh, clear other layer as to what we where our role is. Now we're not physically adjusting. Now we're offering different possibilities of a cue and people can take those cues and, and they can they can mm-hmm. decide how to refer to them or what they mean as well, as you well know, if you've cued, you know, as you've cued many mm-hmm. people and, and what you might suggest, they, they do something different and you go, well, yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that, that's all right. Yeah. yeah. You know what you're saying too, is like having this non-attachment to what the student does. Like the student's practice is not an emanation of our ego or our value as teachers. 
Like we have a responsibility to help them have safe practices and to give them access to as much knowledge as, as we might have. But at the same time, like what we were saying, like last time we talked, which was the idea that you could always know who a teacher was by watching or who a student's teacher was by watching their practice. I do that not is. agree with that because I don't want to project my own skill onto others. Like they have a self-expression, even on the level of like their movement patterns and their, their idiolect of like, like, like how they move their arm that I don't want it to be how Angela moves her arm. Um, and this goes to, you know, Sherratt says this all the time. It's like, don't imitate my walking style. I literally, people imitate his, his walk. Um, oh, God, like, I know. Just yeah. imitate my yeah, every, yeah. <laughs> I know. Yes, I mean, that's yes, I know. that projection of authority works. And it's just like, ah, I don't want to, I don't want to limit your degrees of freedom by offering you my expression because there's even just on the physiological interpretation of the practice, let alone like the mind, the emotion, the supermind, like you may have so many degrees of freedom for the expression of your movement, then I can model for you. Um, so I'm always- it's, a, it's a natural feeling. We want to do it right, you know, but then it's a question of inquiring what that right exactly means, right? Totally. We know that we want to do it right. So we feel that the teacher probably knows how to do it right. But right. But then there's sort of a lot of, well, what does that, how does that translate? You know, and it's yeah, with the, <laughs> inhale, up, exhale, down through your pelvic floor. Everything else, like, it's free range. <laughs> um, the other thing is, like, okay. They're to help. Yeah. Perhaps, you perhaps what you're trying to help the person with is, ste- is, is, is helping them with maybe steadiness. Like, I mean, I, I remember the best instruction. I, I listened, the best instruction I was ever given, or maybe I, I, I said there's another podcast, but I've done too many now to remember. I'm repeating myself mm-hmm. is that when, when years ago, as a young man, as an angry young man, um, and a white one to boot, um, I, um, I was, um, I was given the instruction by John, um, practice how you feel. If you feel angry, don't try and be calm. Just practice how you feel. Um, and that was probably the best instruction I was ever given because I think I was trying to do it yogically. I was trying to mm-hmm. do it calmly and I was trying to do it how mm-hmm. I thought he'd want to see it. And when I was given that instruction, it just and gave me an awful lot of freedom. I found it very helpful. And, and, and that was right at the time, although it ultimately isn't right to practice angrily. It, it felt right and it, and it did a lot of good. Um, mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. There's a level of autonomy there and a level of uh, uh, impartiality, which uh, as a teacher, which I feel could, could be quite helpful. And, mm-hmm. and I'm, I have to say, uh, if it hasn't come through already, I've been quite a fan of the online teaching because I felt it's been, been mm-hmm. pretty helpful. I mean, I was increasingly sceptical of the physical in- adjustments as, as I was going forward anyway. I'm um, good with the, yeah. the lead classes in particular because... So I opened up our shala another 50 people when we went online and I just told all the former students, listen, this exists. We're in Eastern standard time, but if you want to join this group, I think I can, I can increase my capacity to 150 people from hundred. And so it's been this amazing experience of like, we're in 14 time zones and I can look out, people are like practicing at weird different times, but we're the ones who know each other. And see somebody in the Philippines and somebody in Italy and somebody in Greece and somebody in South Sudan and in Puerto Rico and all, they're all moving together. And that is like, my heart explodes. I know all of those people, they all know each other. And somehow we can synchronize across space 
to make it a connection that just like hits me right in the heart. Um, so that I got to say, I have been a huge fan. That has been totally transformative. The, the, my store style just makes me sad because I want to be with people in the room together. There's, there's a je ne sais quoi factor for me where I really want to, to recognize there's like a human shared thing that I have a commitment to getting them back together in the room. So I am going to transition them back, but I think I'll maintain some of the online teaching for the long term because of that sense mm. of other connection with people I already know in the three-dimensional thing. Um, one, one other thing I wanted to say earlier was we, like, I have a lot of weird experiences of time and space. Like, my sense of those dimensions is like, very, very, like, you know, meditation does Why it. does that surprise me? Yeah. <laughs> totally. But, like, working with people on their own terms, like, when they're doing their self-practice and we're talking about their self-practice, it's like, okay, I know your past body. And you're in this body, and it's a little different from the past body that I know. So let's also keep in mind the future body. And so I'm always saying, like, what does your 80-year-old self need from this asana? Like, really think about what's sustainable for the joints, what's sustainable for your relationship with your practice, assuming you're going to want to practice all the way through. And then I had a student who, like, was like, Angela, I turned 80 last year. Knock it off. Like, I mean, she my hundred year old stuff. She was actually like, like legitimately like, wow, wake up, Angela. Like the 80 year old self is now. Um, and so now we talk about the hundred year old self, like on all dimensions, like, can we both recognize like compassion for the past self that got these Do you want to practice? Does that mean practicing like a granny? Oh no. my God, maybe, maybe, but like a very, a very awesome granny. like i I would say like there is there is a sense that that i i wanna i love practicing so much that i want to think about being an old practitioner i mean i'm already 44 like there's there's already a sense that my my joints are not what they were when i started when i was in my 20s um yeah no shit um, right, so different. Did you, but but I mean, if someone said to you, "Oh, practice like you're a hundred year old," you know, yeah. like you know, a couple of years ago, you yeah. said, "No, thanks." You know, no, no, that's what, true. Where, where does where where does circumspection oh. meet? You know, kind of mm-hmm. just overly over reticence. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but but like that sense of like because we do it every day, like just having like like opening up that field to be like, okay, this everyday thing is like probably going to keep going. I mean, you and I could quit practicing tomorrow. Who knows? We might surprise ourselves, but probably not. <laughs> and so like keeping the pathway open for those future selves in the same way that like what's happened to me during the pandemic is like all these old memories and the connections to all my past selves. It's kind of like I'm understimulated. So I'm having all these memories of being like a 23 year old practitioner <laughs> and like feeling my, my 30 year old body that's really coming back into and I'm like re-digesting those experiences. And so like both the sense of like being ever young on the mat, like what about the granny, like practicing, like she's 20, right. Having that like bouncy energy. Um, that's something I really, he walks into the room and if you don't see his face, his energy is sometimes like a, about 18 years old. And so like, like having access to all that dimensionality across time, like, I feel like you're taking care of your whole self in a way. 
um, and validating, you know, cause a lot of times you start a practice and you're like, oh my God, I've been so stupid all along. And even now, like I can look back at the way I interpret Ashtanga, like when I was in my twenties and be like, oh my God, I was so lost and <laughs> asleep. Right. But also recognize that I had to be that person in order to be this person, uh, is part of that, like the bringing the compassion in. Um, and like the Ishtanga hasn't always been at like a passionate path <laughs> for a lot of us. No. Um, right. Mm -hmm. so, like, like really accepting like that, like that sense of like, it is a path that can be with us for our whole life. Um, that has at least helped me, especially in internet times. Um, because I'm not like, I very much feel like that sense of practicing safely is a, that is something I am responsible for because a student learning the practice online doesn't know that hamstring origin attachment issue, uh, injuries are chronic in this method. They don't know that the medial meniscus or the S5L1 are areas that are going to be challenged unless you're careful. And so that's a way of being like, instead of like scaring them, just being like, okay, like think about the long duration. Does that make sense? How, how, yeah, last thing before we, do, we round it up, how, how would you encourage a student then? Hmm. How would you encourage them? Because everyone wants to, everyone wants to feel like they're progressing, oh. right? Everyone wants to, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's a, it's a motivating, as long as you're in an ego, you want a sense, yeah. a sense of visible development. Yeah. You know, I mean, we'd be, we'd be hmm. lying to say we do want a sense of visible development. So, so yeah. we want that to keep going, right? You know, hmm. most of us do. Um, yes. And, uh, and yet we also want to be safe. So how, how as a teacher, would you practically advise and, and, and kind of challenge and inspire someone, you know, mm -hmm. towards development, and, uh, but yet keep, you know, at the same time, mm -hmm. kind of you know, aware? My biggest question would be, are you glad you did it today? Or do you regret that you practiced today? Like, like instead of looking to the, to the practice itself as the zone of improvement or growth, look to the life as the zone of of growth and well-being. So if your life feels better today because you did it this morning, then probably the practice is correct. We always use the mantra, notice the effects. Notice the effects, notice the effects, notice the effects. So like the like also those very rajasic practices, like are you pissed off and emotionally unavailable through the day? Like it sucks to recognize that, but notice the effects of those more rajasic practices as well. Um, Oh, and, so you and just like, do some great back bends and then can't really uh, get up off the chair later like, in the day. Right. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. have like no, no equanimity with like being out of coffee later. Right? Um, and so like noticing the effects in the life instead of noticing the effects purely in the field of practice. Um, I think meditation teaches that too. You know, sometimes meditation is just pure health. And... At the same time, I have my faith in these spiritual practices has never flagged because like the, the ecosystem of my life continues to feel expansive and integrated. And like there's a sense that my consciousness continues to grow as a result of them, even when they suck. And now you're uh, you're kind of in a wilderness situation again after having yeah. kind of escaped it when you were young, you're you're you under lockdown to, were you, uh, are you in a wood or something there? Yeah, is I am. Um, the forest or what is So I am. I live on two acres of, of forest, right. uh, 15 miles or 15 minutes outside of town now. So I've always lived a 10 minute walk from practice because it snows so much in Michigan. And lots of times you just yeah. 
if you're going to practice it 3, 4 a.m., there's no way that the roads are going to be closed. And um, around the election here, the real estate markets got super crazy and I became very bold and I bought two acres of the forest and I moved out of town. And so I always thought this was going to happen late in life, that I'd do the fourth ashram thing and go to the forest and grow up and re-embrace my roots and all that. Uh, but that happened in November instead. So yeah, this has been a, a huge, a huge shift in just my sense of self and life. Like I'm kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's me in the trees. Was there a little cabin there or what have you got? What, what, or just, have you built something there or did you, did you have? Oh, I do have a house, house on the really? land. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. There's a, I bought a house on the land. Yeah. Mm -hmm. imagine, I just imagined you living yeah. in a uh, log I'm cabin. I'm not that no, <laughs> no, I'm definitely, I'm still a lot of pretty uh, in, my, in my life, yeah. Um, but that just is to round up the picture, Yeah, I, I always just ask, uh, what, what else What else do you like to do? I mean, yeah, I know your mm -hmm. well, first podcast you mm -hmm. cancelled because you there was a storm and you needed to attend to your trees. Yeah. So you yeah. quite out. Yeah, quite so outdoorsy that's now. The thing now. We actually, four yeah, huge yeah. oak trees came out down in the storm. And so what I'm doing every day, I actually had a student who's an amazing botanist who was out with me uh, yesterday teaching me about just kind of, she introduced me to four new plants. And so right now I'm in this place of like learning these new plants that she taught me. But a lot of what I'm doing is tending to, tending to the land that the place that I am living, nobody's really taken care of it for about 20 years. So there are a bunch of invasive species all over it, which I thought I'd just be out here like listening to the birds and getting to know the deer. There's actually a deer right outside the window right now. Um, oh, wow. But there's wow. actually, oh, it's amazing. There's actually work that needs to be done so that the the invasive species and some of, some of the disease um doesn't take over. So right now I'm not making too many interventions yet because I don't know enough, but luckily I can draw on my family knowledge as well as a lot that my students know to start taking care of the land. I think I'm going to be here like doing this for the duration. So thank God uh, the yoga is there to enable me to do these things. Um, I mentioned last time I had this, so Dominic, I talk a lot and he, I think I didn't really know that I'd be following in his footsteps, but he, you know, Sherat also like has his land in the country. Dominic's on 28 acres. And a lot of what he does is take care of that acreage. So um, I was sharing with him about the invasive honeysuckle that I'm dealing with right now. And he had me get out my chainsaw and like compare it's chainsaws invasive. with me. Yeah. He has a much bigger chainsaw than I do. And I'm like, I never expected to be using these rajasic means in my forest life, but that's sort of what it takes at this point. So I also did a huge burn the other day, like uh, on the edge of, we're, we're on the river. And so on the edge of the river, like burned uh, uh, old old plants that also were invasive for like five hours and just like working with the elements in this way with the water with the fire with the land with the wood has really like I think that it's the practice that has opened me up to appreciating this where before I'm like you people are boring you people living in the middle of nowhere are boring get me to the university get me to the city oh, um, <laughs> now like this is so alive and rich to me um, as a way of like being with the elements. So, yeah, I said earlier that the chainsaw was my guilty pleasure, but I don't feel that bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that is the best guilty pleasure that anyone's said. <laughs> that much better than chocolate. 
Well, chocolate it. every day. Come on. Right. <laughs> now that our digestive systems right. are capable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, awesome talking to you, Adam. Thanks, Angela. Uh-huh. Take care.